I want to watch the game next to Matthew McConaughey for a couple minutes? Of course I do. Yes, I want to. I want to. I want to be there, especially if we're winning and and hear the roar of the crowd for that first win. I want to be in a place where I'm celebrating with people who have helped build this club together. But I might be watching how how the beer, how fast the beer is selling. It's possible. Welcome back, everyone, to The Bond, joined by Andy Lockmain, the president of Austin FC. These guys are about to start up MLS here. Gosh, a couple of weeks, one month. When are we starting this whole thing, Andy? So Major League Soccer usually starts right in uh, yeah. like early March 2021. Um, as of today, we're starting um, in early April. Um and and that's that's what's been publicly disclosed. I, I think for for us as a as an expansion team starting our first ever season, we also have to manage through the construction process. So a uh, quick answer is I think we're playing our first game in early June under any circumstance, irrespective of when Major League Soccer begins. But yeah, the league is set to kick off a little bit later this year in early April. We've got to move through some um, CBA arrangements with players in the league. But um, uh, sometime this spring we will kick the ball for the first time when was when did austin fc uh get a club or when was the what year and you weren't there at the time when was like the first employee hired by austin fc uh, yeah so um for for your listeners it's a, it's a it's kind of a complex answer because um the club was formed by anthony precourt who um from 2013 through um, 2019 owned Columbus Crew. Um, and so, you know, I was president of Columbus Crew from 2014 all the way through January of 2019. And so with Anthony um, and about 15 others, um, we, um, we took our operations um, and some of the uh, employees, the best employees we went to um, Austin. So uh, short answer is, um, in a very unusual but elegant transaction, um, we formed our club in January of 19. We were awarded our charter by Major League Soccer in January of 19. And um, uh, Columbus was able to keep its team through that process as well. So, yeah, January of 2019. And the stadium that you're playing in, was that at the same time during that process or was the the construction and the idea of the stadium even before that? So we, we knew that we wanted to build our own facility and we were going to have to do that um, through a, a public process. So along the parallel pass of trying to secure um, a franchise in Austin, which again, ultimately happened in January of 2019 in an official capacity. We also were working parallel path with the city of Austin on identifying um, a structure where we could um, utilize city land to build a stadium. Um, and there were some discussions, depending on how the, uh, the transition from Anthony's ownership of the Columbus um, team to Austin, depending on how that played out, we may have had to have played a season or two in a temporary facility. But ultimately, we knew we wanted to build a 20,000-plus soccer-specific, 20,000-seat um, soccer-specific stadium in, in Austin, which is what's happening now. So we broke ground in um, September of 2019 on our 20,500 seat stadium. It's Q2 Stadium, um, stadium naming rights. Um, it's a FinTech company based here in Austin, Q2 Software. But the, um, the project has, um, has remained on schedule uh, through COVID, which is pretty remarkable. 
and um, set to open, as I mentioned, I think we'll have our first ever event in, in early June, but it is a spectacular cathedral. It's an impressive venue. Um, it's perfect for Austin. It's got Austin textures, Austin materials, Austin food, flavors, smells. Um, and it really is. It's like a beautiful modern stadium that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. I mean, it, if COVID lasts much longer, it feels like you're going to get 50% of California will have moved to Austin by the time we get going. But so you've had two years since you guys have really been on the ground um, a bit in Austin. And the last year you guys haven't been able to be out and out and about, let's call it building a fan base. So talk about going into a new season or first season, a new team with the inability for players to, go to youth clubs or just do the community relations that one would normally do when you start a, a franchise? So, yeah, so we're, we're in such a unique position because um, we hadn't started games yet and we haven't. So, you know, as a, as an expansion team, we'll play our first ever game um, this spring. We brought on our first player during COVID, but, you know, we, may, we, we had to manage through COVID without some of the traditional assets that you are able to leverage, um, uh, you know, such as players and coaches. And we, so our staff started to slowly assemble um, the soccer op staff, excuse me, started to slowly assemble in November of 2019. And we brought on a couple of, of player, excuse me, coaches through the early part of COVID. But, you know, to answer your question from a business perspective, um, we're really fortunate. This is a market that has, um, it's kind of the perfect intersection of pent up demand meets untapped potential. Um, and um, despite COVID, there was still a significant interest. And, and by the way, again, we like, we recognize we are so fortunate. This is not what's happening in other parts of the world, but um, despite the pandemic, there's such an interest in buying season tickets and acquiring sponsorship rights um, that all of our business continued. Um, I don't want to say at the same pace because that's not fair. We were certainly affected by COVID, although not as disproportionate as some other properties that were playing through that period. Um, but we were able to build our business. So we built our staff. We continued to build our stadium infrastructure. We're also building a 40. So in addition to the $260 million stadium, we're building a $45 million training facility. Both those projects remain on schedule through COVID, which is a remarkable commitment by our construction community. And then um, we were able to, as I mentioned, we were able to sell out our season tickets. So of the 20,500 seats in the stadium, 75%, 15,500, 15,500 seats were committed for the 2021 season under season ticket. And all that happened during COVID. And then again, you know, we talked a little bit about, Q, you know, Q2 is going to play in Q2 stadium. We were able to finalize a, a stadium naming rights arrangement during COVID, which is not easy. Um, and we've been able to build out our sponsorship business in a pretty healthy way. So I, I think a lot of that is a testament to the trajectory of Major League Soccer um, as a league and a sport in this country. And a lot of it is a testament to this is a market which is just ripe for Major League Sports. I mean, you know, I, I, from just from perspective, Nashville, Nashville is roughly 1.9 million metro population. Um, a lot of people compare Austin and Nashville. It's not just the music scene. It's also just the growth of, of Nashville as a market. Austin's about 2.2, 2.3 million metro population. So Austin's a little bigger. Austin's been the fastest growing large city in the United States the last 10 years running. So Austin's growing at a faster speed. Um, and Nashville has an NFL team. They have an NHL team. And they have now their MLS team, which started in 2020. So three teams in the market for a slightly smaller population, again, growing population, but still slightly smaller than Austin. Austin has one major league team. So that ratio of, of um, 
pro teams per population is just in a much better position here in Austin. And again, that's why I'll overuse the word fortunate. We're, we're in a really strong market. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question, but you really answered it. I mean, the perfect storm of first professional sports. I mean, UT is massive, obviously in the state, but first professional team in the market. Soccer is obviously of, you know, mass size um, and your, your youthful demographic, which seems to be, you know, the, the group in this country that grew up soccer first and now actually has the dis disposable income. Because we talked about that a lot of people ask, when will soccer turn or has soccer turned? Um, I think it's soccer is very similar to gaming where my kids, my oldest two, 17, they grew up with soccer was the first choice. So when she's 25 or 35 and she has the wallet, all of a sudden it's a shift. But to the 40 or 50 or 60 year old right now who has the wallet in their family, soccer may not have been first, just like gaming, right? A 40 to 60 year old right now may struggle with the concept, but when your 12 year old is 25 and controls the wallet, it totally changes. So I imagine just that age demographic too in Austin's really helpful for you guys. It is. And, you know, Austin is one of the, um, you know, stronger, let's call it millennial based cities. Um, so, but also other strengths. Austin has um, a lot of ingredients that are historically successful for um, other major league soccer, other successful major league soccer markets, for example, tech savviness. So, you know, Austin um, now has, uh, you know, a, a, a fat, growing um, tech sector, um, you know, Q2 software, our stadium name here is part you know, the FinTech space alone is, is exploding here in Austin. Um, you know, Oracle moving its headquarters to Austin, um, you know, Elon Musk setting up a, uh, a truck factory here in Austin, moving his, his boring company, his, his tunnel digging company here to Austin. There's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of tech movement here in Austin, but there's also significant amount of multiculturalism. So in particular, when we think about, you know, audiences that historically have loved this sport, we have um, about the, the city's about 35% Hispanic. Um, and so combine the multiculturalism, the millennialism, the tech savviness, it's a really strong ingredient. And, and I think, I, I think Austin is just poised again, you mentioned it first major league property here. Austin has, um, a love affair with sports, but um, to be able to combine all these things together, it's a remarkable potion. Um, and you talked a little bit about gaming. I mean, that's one of, you know, gaming has been one of the large growth um, mechanisms for the sport. The, the property FIFA as a game, as a, as a video game has delivered and developed new audience sets that um, are continuing to pay dividends right now for the major league soccer audience. So, you know, gaming in and of itself um, has been a huge mechanism for us. I mean, that's the number one sports property um, for the last several years in terms of the video game industry. And, and it's generated a lot of fans of the sport. You and I are both Miami University grads. We talked about it before. It's crazy how many people uh, have been in and around the sports entertainment space in from Miami, which is we'll just plug our own school there for a second. But but before you did uh, uh, Austin and Columbus, and I know you were up at the Palace or uh, up in Detroit, you, you had a stint that had nothing to do with sports. You were out where my neck of the woods in D.C. So. What, but maybe you started in sports. Like, what, what, what took you out of the space? What did you learn the most in the space? And then why the heck did you get back out of that space? 
So, you know, I got into sports right out of, right out of Miami. I went to go work for the Red Wings. I was, a, I was, I was in love with the sport of hockey. I kind of always knew I wanted to work in the industry and I got lucky. I, I, I was able to get an internship with the Red Wings and I immediately stepped into a situation. So for those who study hockey, the Red Wings from, I graduated Miami in 1996. Um, from 1996 through 2000, I was with the Red Wings. Well, those are some really good years for the Red Wings. Yeah. Um, couple of Stanley Cups in that run. So I stepped into a, a really interesting and compelling situation. Um, and I started to have this real interest in maybe doing something outside of just working for the Red Wings. I loved the concept of starting something new. I know there was something instinctive or entrepreneurial that I wanted to um, accomplish. And with the expansion era happening, it was happening in all the sports. Um, the concept of going to work for a team in Ohio, but going back to you know Miami, um, that was really compelling. So um, I, I now know there's three things, at least in my opinion, there's three things you want to accomplish in sports. You want to you want to be a part of a championship team. To me, that's that's interesting. It's one of the reasons why people are in this industry. Um, you want to you want to start a new team, and you want to open a new building. Um, and typically you get two and three together, right? Starting a new team often comes with um, building a new stadium. So, you know, as, as, as lucky as it was, had two Stanley Cup championships, it was time to go back to Ohio and um, help grow a team from scratch. And so I got lucky enough to be the first sponsorship seller for the, the Columbus Blue Jackets. And in a very short period of time, um, I ultimately learned that I loved the industry but I also probably wanted to make a little more money. So if I'm being totally blunt, I had an opportunity presented to me to, to, to go into the real world, um, leave sports. And um, I went to go start a business unit instead of a, a publicly traded company in New York uh, Exchange publicly traded company to build a business unit. It was for me, it was a very compelling concept. Um, and I did that for a couple of years and, and just skipping ahead. I, um, I learned governance. I learned, you know, sales acumen. I learned um, what it's like to have, um, I guess, uh, the, the concept of building a business without all of the emotional equity involved. Um, and, and I met a lot of people along the way and I learned so much and I was able to start a company at some point along the way. And um, ultimately all of this uh, knowledge and, and I would say, you know, business insights was, um, was able to be put back to use in sports. So I got back into it. Um, I got sucked back into it because, because let's face it, this is a remarkable industry. I don't think I ever thought that I'd, I'd be able to get back in to be fair, but I was given an opportunity to go work for the um, Detroit Pistons to run sponsorship sales and media for the Pistons. And I got back into it, but um, yeah, I spent 10 years learning the real world, which was um, ultimately one of the reasons why I got hired in Columbus to run the, the MLS team in Columbus was because they were looking for somebody who had business and sports knowledge, not just somebody who had sort of done the stick and ball thing for their entire career. So you, you've been out of school out of Miami for 25 years. How do, how do you learn? How do you still learn every day? Man, I can't believe you had to put it in the, in, in the I know well, I'm, I'm 27. So don't feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is, this is really important um, for me. In terms of learning, I do want from a management perspective for um, for for everybody who's on um, who's within our organization to be able to have a voice and to be able to share and whether that's, you know, every day inside of my office or during team meetings that we coordinate. But um, I, as a general rule of thumb, have created a hopefully we've created a culture where um, nobody is the smartest person in the room. 
we need to collaborate together in order to be successful together. And this is about having um, multiple voices building ultimately a, a management team of many that can make one decision. And so with that mindset, I'm listening and learning from a lot of people. I will say, um, I do, there's a couple of sources that I happen to like um, in terms of industry and where I'm following on social and who I'm listening to and who I'm reading. But ultimately, I'm learning a lot from our staff. And um, whether that's, um, you know, younger managers or entry-level employees for us, we're, we're constantly collecting feedback from our staff. So speaking of social for a second, um, we used to have these, I used to have these conversations and people would say, uh, are you on Twitter? Are you on Facebook? Are you on Instagram? Have you been, I'm going to make, have you been on every one of these platforms? Have you been on Twitch? I have, I have an account and I've watched okay. EMLS on Twitch. Okay. Have you been on TikTok? Uh, never. Have you been on Discord? The next uh, Twitch? I, I know what it is. Have not been on it. And what about Clubhouse, which has gone gangbusters in the last couple of weeks? I, and just in the last two weeks, I've heard many people talk about it. I do not have an account. Maybe I should like rush to to get my um, my 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 full name on there. Um, no, I haven't. And, and you know, listen on on even on the the stand. I'm not on Facebook, but the standard platform for for me has been over the years where I'll do a little bit more of bobbing and weaving and in and out. Uh, is is Twitter? Mm -hmm. um, but I've also learned that. Um, Social media isn't necessarily real life. Um, and so as valuable of a, of a tool as it is for dissemination of news and, and you know, certain times video elements, content, um, I don't necessarily go there for opinion gathering. Um, right. <laughs> catch the tone of, you know, of, of while the market views, um, in our case, major league sports. I, I know that there are opinions out there, um, but I... I probably spend a little more time in the real world than I do on social. Yeah. Well, I think it's also hard on a uh, brand or property side with fans because the fans will always be first. And then, the, you know, they, they have, uh, they hit scale and then the brands and, and me too, and everybody else trying to react to that. And by the time often in legacy businesses, you react well, well, the fans may have moved on to, to the next thing too. Yes. And that's, and, and it's such a great point about the, the speed at which, um, you know, to, to, to do social media properly, you, you do need to be consistently inside of your device. Um, and yes, and responding quickly, it's a, it's harder. I mean, now listen, there's plenty of successful CEOs of, um, uh, of companies who are spending a lot of time on social and they're developing audience and they're responding quickly and they're also doing their job incredibly well and they're growing um, profitability in their company and they're doing everything well. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I have not been able to successfully find time inside of social and inside of all the other business development needs that we have to work on. I can't do it. And as you head into year one of the expansion and, and putting COVID aside, what scares you the most as a club president in year one? And on the flip side of that, what's the singular goal if you could pick one that you want to achieve in year one? Well, I, we're, on, um, we're on display, um, not just in Austin, not just in Texas, but to the world in terms of you know, what we're going to introduce. We're introducing, talked about it, you know, the first ever major league sports team out of what is a pretty internationally renowned city. 
Um, and with that comes a lot of focus and probably a lot of pressure. If I had to be worried about anything, it's that when we open the stadium, that it's loud. You, you, you think you're designing a loud stadium. You're fairly confident you're designing a loud stadium, but you don't know until you actually put bodies in the building. We want everybody to love the food. We want everybody to love the beverage. We want everybody to love the flavors, the taste, the smells. You don't know until you're able to put people in. You want everybody to be comfortable as it relates to their traffic, their, the, the transit plan and how you're going to come in and how you're going to leave. You don't know until that stadium opens. So if I had a fear, it's that all of those elements, as well planned as we hope they are, we won't know until we open and we're going to be on display. I mean, as is every venue that opens up, there's a lot of, a lot of attention and come with a lot of attention comes a lot of scrutiny. So those are the things, of course, I'm focused on. And um, I'm also confident we've assembled the right team and we built the right building that it's going to be, we're going to mitigate a lot of those, but you don't know until you don't know. And that's of course, as you mentioned, removing the COVID elements, you know, for us, the aspiration on the aspiration part, you know, I don't manage our soccer business. So I manage the business side. Claudio Reina um, runs our sporting group. So Claudio and I collectively run the company. He's just responsible for building players and building our roster, acquiring players and making sure that, you know, our system of play is effective. At the end of the day, um, what I'm about to tell you is, is a little more Claudio, but it is, it's, it's us together. I, I want us to be a playoff caliber team. So the expectation, even as an expansion team, and this is a company objective, this is a very stated public company objective. We want to make the playoffs in year one. And we're not just saying that because it sounds like a nice little goal. We're saying that because we have committed to that as an objective and we need to, um, we need to accomplish that objective. So uh, the one thing that I'm hopeful we're in is in the playoffs in a couple of months. He's too busy watching his son. And then Europe having a heck of a run right now. That's for darn sure. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Obviously, you're on the business side, so it's not going to be soccer first. But still, the way you talk about it with the loud stadium and the food and bed and the traffic, what a what a shift in the last 10 years with the pr proliferation of TV and huge TVs and content you can get on your mobiles. How important that experience, that physical experience is to get people off their couch to there. I don't, I think it's probably more of a problem. You tell me for maybe a legacy, uh, you know, a 50 year old brand like baseball or even older, of course, or NFL where, you know, maybe the experience people are struggling. Is it better at home or not? MLS feels a little bit different. It's still a young, it's still a young league. Even if we're in whatever, between 20 and 30 years, it feels like, the excitement there and that millennial fan base want to experience each other. But, but that's a shift. I mean, it's certainly a shift from when um, you were with the Pistons. Of so, yeah, the, this is where our sport has a distinct advantage. So um, we we're all in any aspect of our lives. We're competing um, for attention and love um, any aspect of our life. And the, uh, no different if we're you know talking about competing against whether it's other sports entertainment programming or even a visit to the movie theater or a visit to the zoo or something that you know a family can do together whatever that where there's there's always competition um we're competing against sometimes the phone right we're competing against things that people want to do with the very little time that they have to be active and and soccer as a product that um lives in two halves two uninterrupted 45 minute halves, which collectively, when you add in the halftime adds up to two hours in total time, that's a much better 
value proposition for somebody who you were competing with against a variety of other factors to be able to say, come enjoy our product. A, it's beautiful. Um, B, in most cases, you're outdoors, you're enjoying the outdoors. Um, you can be social. Um, you can be social and have drinks. And oh, by the way, it's two hours. There's a lot to be said about the competitive advantage that we have over a four hour college football game, you know, a three plus hour, you know, nine inning baseball game. Um, we're in a good spot. What's behind you? Is that the shovel from breaking ground? Oh yeah. So this is, uh, our Q2, well, it's, it's, so we had two groundbreaking ceremonies. We had a official groundbreaking ceremony before we had the first ever um, stadium naming rights partner. So yes, this is a Q2 stadium groundbreaking shovel. And, and the, the fan base of soccer MLS, um, five to, I'm just ballparking five to 10 years younger, maybe even more than some of the other uh, order leaks. Is that about right? You know, and it's not just MLS. Um, so let's talk about TV for a second. So the TV audience and the in-stadium audience are close, but slightly different. But so when you think about the TV audience, if we were to put a chart, um, uh, a horizontal chart, and you put the, the properties that have the youngest audience, the concentration of youngest audience, um, if you were to put all those properties on the left side of the chart that had the, the most amount of what's called millennials or, you know, 18 to 35-year-olds, watching their sport. MLS is on that list. So is League MX. So is English Premier League. Um, it's not just, uh, in fact, those are the three properties that have the strongest concentration of, of younger viewership. Um, it's not just MLS, it's sport. Um, if you were to look at the far right of that chart, um, uh, it would be something like the PGA and Major League Baseball would, would sit a little bit more on the older side of the audience set. Um, as it relates to an in arena or in stadium audience, soccer again does very well in this country in terms of having that youthful audience. Um, and, and every sport is going to have with 20,000 plus, or in case of, you know, NFL 60, 70, 80,000, you're going to have a heavy, a heavy blend of, of audience set. But in particular, we're pretty proud of the fact that we do have an, an, an audience that is, um, uh, commands attention from advertisers. All right, last question here for you. Tate, we're, we're now opening night and 20,000 people, the traffic flow is easy. It's loud as heck. People are having beers, enjoying your food. The national anthem is gone. The whistle is blown. You've got 90 minutes of soccer. How many minutes of those 90 do you think you're actually walking or watching versus going to see partners and going to see how long the lines are and looking at the signage and all of that other stuff? Yeah, I will. Um, I, I hope the answer is more than two minutes. I can actually watch the game. I hope it's not the last two minutes. Um, but but realistically, your question's phenomenal because you nailed it. The expectation is that um, all of us who work for this team are not caught watching the first game. We're really more responsible for managing everything that's happening in and around the stadium to make sure every guest is comfortably led from their car to their seat. Um, and that they're having a spectacular experience. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of um, saying hello to people who have helped us get this far. There's a lot of making sure that um, the lines are moving smoothly. You you don't you don't have a chance to help provide feedback if you don't witness it in person. Oftentimes, so there has to be a lot of um, a lot of walking around and, and observing. And this is by the way, this is the life of of somebody in our industry, even on match number 100 or match number 200. 
um, maybe a little more blend of watching versus just you know observing. But um, I will I will tell you this much: I love that. I love being able to see how a building behaves and how somebody is somebody going to walk left or somebody going to walk right at this particular intersection. We don't know on, on night one. I don't know if somebody's going to be more inclined to walk left coming out of this particular gate. I think I know, but I don't know until we see it all come alive. And so there's just so many variables that you want to be able to observe in person. Do I want to watch the game next to Matthew McConaughey for a couple minutes? Of course I do. Yes. I want to, I want to, I want to be there, especially if we're winning and, and hear the roar of the crowd um, for that first win. I want to be in a place where I'm celebrating with people who have helped build this club together, but I might be watching how, how the beer, how fast the beer is selling. It's possible. And that's the bond. See you next week.